Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Venture Fuel Podcast. On today's show, we have 2020 Venture Fuel Visionary, Jackson Janigam. Jackson's the Vice President and General Manager of the direct-to-consumer business at the Clorox Company. Prior to Clorox, Jackson was the CMO for e-commerce startup Boxed, where he was named to the Forbes CMO Next list as one of the top 50 CMOs redefining the role and shaping the future. He was head of digital at Chipotle. He's an advisor for three very high-growth startups. And, and today, we dive into how Jackson is helping Clorox go direct-to-consumer and his recipe for innovating within large companies. It's a fantastic conversation that I hope you enjoy. Take a listen. At Venture Fuel, we've helped over 100 of the biggest companies in the world grow faster by partnering with emerging startups. On our podcast, you'll meet the best of these startups, as well as learn from corporate visionaries and venture capitalists on how you can build a culture of innovation at your company. Please enjoy. Jackson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fred. Good to be here. When, when I think of Clorox, the, 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 the phrase direct to consumer is not the first thing I think of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. can, can you tell us a little bit about your role, what you're doing there and the mission? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined in January of, I guess, 2019 now. It feels like yesterday, about a year and a half ago. Um, I mean, I came, as, as you know, um, from a startup called Boxed, an e-commerce startup based in New York, uh, shipping bulk whole, whole goods to your door within two days. So think of Costco alternative. And I was a CMO there leading growth and, you know, come from a marketing and digital and e-commerce background. So to your point, when I got the uh, recruiter reached out to me and said, hey, you're interested in general manager role with the CPG, Fortune 500 CPG, I'm like, hmm that doesn't seem to direct consumer CPG didn't nothing uh, about that seemed right. And nothing about that seemed like the track I wanted to go on. And then as I chatted with the recruiter and then my boss ultimately was on the executive committee of Clorox, which really matters actually as part of this role, I realized that the opportunity was much bigger than what, you know, and this is pre quarantine, right? So I realized the opportunity was pretty big. They, they had acquired a company called Nutronext a couple of years earlier, pretty large company with heavy amount of retail brands within that portfolio though, there was a small D to C a collection of brands, three brands, um, uh, you know, probably less twenty five percent of the total portfolio, but still su- uh, big enough to matter and to 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 care about. And uh, it wasn't doing as well as they wanted it to, and they needed someone to kind of lead it. And they also saw this as an opportunity to then start to delve into the future of D2C. The challenge was those brands were uh, built in the old school D2C format, right? Remember, fifteen years ago, your parents, my parents, it was direct mail and maybe some direct response TV. That was it. Yeah, but it existed. That was D to C QVC being one of the earliest, but you know, that's what, that was D to C. There was no Warby Parker, Airbnb, uh, you know, all birds and so forth. So that the brands, there were basically built in that format, that structure. Uh, and then I came in and that was the purview. It was like, Hey, come and fix these brands, get them to moving towards the right direction and, and, and modernize them, the technology and the way we approach it. But more importantly, let's figure out how to then create a playbook and scale that for all of Clorox, which includes Burt's Bees and Brita. So a lot of people actually don't realize when they think Clorox, they think of bleach and disinfectant, but we have Burt's Bees and Brita, which are, you know, two great wellness brands, two great lovable brands, especially Burt's. I mean, Burt's has this insane cult following of teenagers to 70 year olds, right? So uh, that was the purview. It was really like fix the core 
and then quickly let's scale this out and teach and educate internally about what does D2C mean, what are the values and benefits of it beyond revenue, and then how do we do this uh, in a way that's modern and, and progressive and can compete with others in, in the category. Because as you know, with D2C, there's a lot of innovation happening, not just with like you know entertainment uh, side and not just on the high-end luxury side and clothing side, but it's happening in CPG and grocery. It's happening in cleaning now with sustainable options where you're starting to see small companies come up and, and offer really cool solutions to customers on a subscription model. So um, Clorox, you know, rightfully so recognized this opportunity within this larger acquisition that was happening anyway to then kind of take a different approach towards how they viewed D2C. And that's my role as a general manager. I, I run the PL of the pure play, but I'm also serving almost like a consultant and like a internal agency helping support other GMs and their business units that are heavy retail, go to market or optimize their current D2C experience. It's super unique. I, I love the fact that you're, you're also running the PNL. Uh, so you're, yes. <laughs> you're tied to like the core business, right? Like there's yeah. a more traditional way as well as sort of being an instigator uh, to, to go in and, and find new ways to drive revenue. That's right. I get to, you know, so I get to operate what I know well coming from agency side and operator side. Like I know how to service partners and peers. I know how to give them kind of like support and provide strategy and execute, right? That, that was more natural to me. Um, what was not natural was being a general manager. I know how to operate, but running a PL where, you know, to your point, beyond marketing, I'm running supply chain, operations, HR, finance, technology, product experience, R&D. That's the stuff that I really wanted to learn. Uh, and working very close to FP&A and, and all the modeling and, and getting closer to the margin. Um, I was always a top line guy, right? Grow, 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 grow. Yeah. Never really thought about profitability and all the elements that go into it. I understood it, but never really had to worry about it. Didn't go to grad school, right? I was just, you know, uh, an average student who went to undergrad at University of Oregon and barely graduated. And that was it. So I got that, you know, Clorox is, is a fortune hundred, been around a fortune 500, been around for a hundred years, trained some of the best CEOs in the world. I think the CEO of Honest, for instance, came from Clorox. So I knew I'd get the training from all the right people. I'd get the pedigree I needed, but I would also bring a different kind of perspective and experience that they weren't really used to, which is that startup e-commerce uh, mentality. So yeah, I get to, to dabble in both worlds and learn a lot, probably more so to be quite honest than I'm actually giving back. Uh, I, I doubt that, but I, I have a question for you, which I wasn't yeah. planning on asking actually. <laughs> Even because, better. Yeah, because, you know, the fact that, you know, most of the folks that, that we work with on the innovation side are the top line folks, right? Grow, grow, grow. Uh, yep. Find new revenue streams, creative ways yep. to, to outpace your consumers. And I always ask them the question, okay, well, how do you justify the investment of innovation and trying new things? Um, and a lot of times those aren't the people that control the P&L. So I'm yeah. going to kind of ask you that role as, as the GM, right? How do you, yeah. how do you look at this and say, Hey, you know what? We need to try some unproven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe startup partnerships or other, other innovation sides. How do you rectify that? knowing you're responsible for that P&L. Yeah, well, the first I'd say is I have a whole new found respect for my past CEOs and CFOs when I would push them to do just that. And they would ask me like, well, what about the RI? I'm like, guys, we just got to test things. Like, there's no way I can do what I'm doing and grow unless I test things. And and now I'm like on the other side, but being a former CMO who's always asking for the ability to test, I'm like, oh, now I have to look at the whole P&L. I have to look at top line. I have to look at gross margin. I have to look at net profitability, right? And I never thought that lens. There's always top line to your point. So, you know, I justify, uh, but I take a similar approach to be quite honest because I know both sides. And, and my approach is um, everything should be tested. 
everything should be, you know, um, uh, tested and then iterated and optimized, scaled or killed. Uh, we don't need to go from zero to hundred. We can go to zero to 50, go quickly and learn. And then it becomes very low risk. And, and then you also balance that with things you know work, right? So I'm not going to test. I'm going to spend, say, you know, $5 million in any given uh, month or, or quarter or year, right? Whatever it is. Um, I'm not going to put 90% of that spend in the testing. I might put 20%, 25%. And then I'm going to know of that, you know, say $1 million of the 5 million, it's going to go towards testing and new channels. I'm going to TikTok. I'm making that up. Yeah. I'm going to be doing addressable TV. I'm going to do some OTT networks. I'm going to do some new influence stuff that I've never done before. I'm going to have some clear benchmarks on what I'm trying to get and learn. And then the rest of my spend, majority will go to what I know works. And within that, I might test a little bit and tweak creative and messaging, but I know I can deliver for the most part and I'll set expectations internally. And then of course I have to make sure I hit like my profit goals and, and, and so forth. But I also have a great conversation with my boss where I'm like, Hey, I'm going to test this stuff. Some of this might not work. I might need to have incremental spend in this quarter, but I'm going to make it up next quarter. So we end up where we need to for the year so that my profitability doesn't go completely out of whack. Oh, and by the way, we also have other things we're going to be testing that don't require any spend. So even though I kind of have a hedge, so even when I do three things yeah. I'm testing, for instance, if none of them work. I still have this other thing over here, like PR, for instance, or uh, uh, partnerships with brands where we swap emails, tactical things that you know, might generate a few thousand bucks of revenue or tens of thousands of dollars of revenue that can maybe offset the test over here. So I kind of take the similar approach and I just educate all the core stakeholders. Like, guys, I want you to keep testing. I want you to keep pushing me, pushing yourselves. Because if we stop testing, that's the moment we become extinct. However, I need you guys to be cognizant and respectful of the fact that while we're at Clorox and not because I've hired a lot of startup people like me, while we're at Clorox, I need you to think with that startup mentality, which is very stingy, which is very resourceful, which is very like, yeah. hey, we don't have unlimited resources, people or money, so let's do this thoughtfully. And and that helps. Whereas I think if I had a lot of people, I would mix. A lot of people who came from large budgets and large companies, that could get out of whack. Where now I do have people overspending and, and not maybe being as thoughtful about or fiscally responsible as ca- cash flow management because it's Clorox. It's like, oh, well, we overspent. No big deal. It's like, no, no, no. We overspent. Now we got to make it up. Now we're going to reduce yeah. spend somewhere else. And now we're going to miss our target and there's these implications. So I don't know if I answered your question, but it's really, it's not nothing that different. It's just educating everyone and being very clear. Like we are still a startup within Clorox and we need to leverage the best of both of those worlds and not the worst. I, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you said a bunch of things in there that are really, you know, I, I would say almost taboo to some people, right? It's like the, the recognition that things are going to fail and you're going to have to kill them quickly. Yeah, like that that word failure, right? It, startups view that word so differently than yes. most large corporates do. Where it's yep. it's it's not a failure like you you go home and and the game's over. It's it's yeah. you're placing lots of small bets with the recognition that a lot of them aren't going to work, but yep. you're going to have exponential growth from the ones that do. And yep. you're also doing you know all the scrappy startup things like where you don't have a budget and you need to be yep. creative uh, yep. that, that have nothing but upside. Yep. And to your point, fail is a, rel- is a, is a bad word because a lot of people say it. So first off, you're right. Startups think about it differently, but even startups sometimes will say it and they don't really mean it, right? Like, and so fail as a, as a broad scale of things. So I've tried to actually avoid saying it, even though I still say it every day because I can't find the right synonym, but you're exactly right, Fred. It's a mentality like, uh, this is where startups are good. We're going to test a lot of different things and we're not going to be beholden to it. We're not going to get uh, emotionally attached to it. It's not Fred's idea or my idea. That's the hardest part, right? Where yeah. you're trying to make your idea win. It's like, no, no, no. Here's a bunch of ideas. I don't know. I have a hypothesis. I have some early data that tells me this. Sometimes startups get analysis paralysis where they can't even get to testing mode. I've seen this happen. They get to a certain scale. It's like, well, where's the data to back up? I'm like, guys, like, 
the data is going to come after we test it. Now it's hypothesis mode. So you have to have a right, you have to have the right people in place where you trust them to make decisions based on instinct, science and heart. There is a hypothesis. There is like, Hey, my instincts or my gut says this on the qualitative data. Now let's go test it and then use the data before you scale it out. Sometimes startups go like, where's the data? It's like, guys, if we lose our instinct, then that that's also not going to be helping us anyway when we scale and grow. So I think startups sometimes actually get too caught up on the data. And then conversely, to your other point, the bigger companies get caught up on perfection. It's like three years to go to market, tens of millions of dollars of testing, all these focus groups, and, and it still probably may not work, right? So to me, and in those three years, what's changed in the marketplace? What's changed in the behavior? So that the middle ground, what I feel like personally, I've gotten some great experience from Chipotle and the agency side with big companies and the startup. And now Clorox is the best of both worlds where it's like, hey, we're going to do this in, in a confined environment. We're going to be very clear. We're going to prioritize. Can't test everything either, right? Now you have 50 tests uh, running at the same time. So let's prioritize. Let's make sure we have a very good standard for what we're testing. Let's make sure we have one variable and that's it. Let's get some basic methodology down and let's be clear that no one owns these ideas. Let's figure some stuff out. Let's hope that one of them work. It's like a portfolio, right? If yeah. If nine fail, one company succeeds, then great, or hopefully two succeed, then great, right? We, we know the odds are against us and it might take a while, but that's okay. We're going to figure this out. Let's just not repeat our mistakes. Let's optimize to your point and let's be comfortable with it, you know, quote unquote, failing or not working as long as we know there's a limit. Um, and, and we also have hedges to ensure that we can protect the downside as much as possible. Now, sometimes you take bigger risks than others. Like maybe TV might be a bigger risk because you have to inherently spend more. But point being is you can build into it and test into it. But there has to be some instinct too. And so I think sometimes startups also hurt themselves as well because they say they have that mindset. But then when it really comes down to it, uh, they get caught up sometimes on the analysis as well. Or they caught up on like, well, we're at a point now. Like, yeah, we did that in stage Series A. But now we're this size and like, we yeah, can't, we can't, yeah. we can't miss our number. We're about to go on a, on a road tour for more money or we're about to go in front of the board. It's like, well, are we building business for the board? Or are we building the business <laughs> to do the right thing for the customer? Right. And I think sometimes founders get caught up on that, especially younger founders. Yeah. And it, it's so funny too, right? Like it, when you take a step back, it's, it's so obvious. It's like they want to do yeah. tried and true. So they have predictable results and then they, <laughs> they want unpredictable results. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and it's like, well, no, the reason there's no risk is like, this is what it's going to do. Right. Right. You know what a Google uh, search campaign is going to be, you know, your, your, your cost per click is going to be a buck 50 or whatever it's going to be. You know what yeah. retargeting DP ads are going to Facebook going to do. You, you kind of know what, you know, um, affiliates going to do, but do you know what, this TV campaign is going to do or what the sponsorship is going to do. Yes. It might not be as measurable, even though it kind of is. Um, that's the inherent risk, right? Are you willing yeah. to try all these new things? Yeah. It, it's so funny. It's, it's a contradiction. I think is a challenge for both sides of the house, the big companies yeah. and the smaller companies. Speaking on the, 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 the earlier stage companies, what role do you think startups play in corporate corporate innovation? So, uh, I know you've played both sides of this uh, game a little bit, but in, in terms of are, are there advantages to corporates partnering, piloting, uh, you know, embracing external innovation? Yeah. And are you saying uh, like corporate entities like acquiring startups or just learning from them? Not even acquiring them, right? Doing, doing like the pilots, the proof of concept. Uh, you, you could think of a marketing uh, startup where, you know, you guys are, are spending X in, and Google and why mm -hmm. on, you know, Facebook and there's a new platform coming on. Like what uh, yes. is, what is that, that value to you? Because I think, you know, one of the things we do is we work with, with, with large corporates and help them find startups that can help yeah. the corporation grow quickly. Right. And on the, on the yeah. back end, it's going to help the startup grow. Right. Because they're working yeah. with Nike all of a sudden or P&T yeah. or, 
Yeah. Whatever. It's um, a win-win. Yeah. It's like the little fish on those like big, like the great white sharks or the, or the killer whales in the ocean, right? They're just hanging out with them. It's like a symbiotic relationship, right? Exactly. Um, so I, I, I'm very fascinated by this topic. So I think, I think two things. I think one, when you're working, if you're, if, if your question is kind of talk through that, if you're a small yeah. MarTech company, for instance, and you want to get in front of Nike or Clorox or, or um, Coca-Cola, it's all, in my opinion, it's all about who you get in front of because a lot of the folks in decision-making roles, a lot, not all of them, and the, those companies, especially if they've been there for a long time, right? The, their mindset is generally going to be, for the most part, I'm generalizing, I'm going to go with the larger companies, Adobe, Oracle, Salesforce, right? Because they have everything and, and I know them and I get scale and I get purchasing power. And, and by the way, my five competitors use them and it's trusted and like they know how we work and, you know, you're going to have layers and layers and layers of people. And that's how we work too. And I think there's a comfort there of knowing that you can't go wrong with Salesforce, Adobe, and Oracle. You can't, right? Yeah. However, you could spend a lot of money. You could take a lot of time and get caught up in a lot of red tape. But if you're a company that operates like that and you're large, that's how you guys run too. So it, it's, it's all good, right? That's the more conservative, normal approach. Now you find the right people internally and it doesn't mean they have to come from start, just the right people. My boss is like this. He was Clark's 30 years. He's always looking for new, innovative things. There's always people like these large companies who are like the disruptors, right? The, yeah. the, the ones who break things. I, I talked to a guy at General Mills who worked closely at Box and he always said that the Annie's team, they acquired Annie's and the, 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 the lead, the GM on that business was looking for the misfits. I love that. The company, the ones yeah. who, who, who weren't viruses, big difference. Who, they weren't viruses. They had great ideas. They challenged status quo, but they did it from the perspective of what's right for the business. And they did it respectfully and collaboratively, not just to be an asshole. Um, and they were the misfits. That's who they wanted on the Annie's business because Annie's was so different, as you can imagine, than General Mills uh, and the core brand. And I think there's always misfits in those big companies, always. And I consider my, myself a misfit. So if, if you're a, a founder or you're it may, trying to broker a, a relationship between a small MarTech startup and a big company, you got to find those misfits who have some, who have some influence, right? It doesn't mean by title or by salary, but they have influence on the right people who are open and actually lean into large, smaller companies, startups who want to learn, who want to innovate, who want to be the first in those walls. Be like, let's try something. I think that's a big one, right? So find those people to get you in the door because if you go through the wrong angle, you're just going to get shut down because you're, you, no one's heard of you. The second piece is I, why I love those smaller companies is exactly what you said. They're cheaper. They'll oftentimes do things for free because they want the case study. They definitely won't commit to like three year contracts that are going to cost me a million dollars. They're going to move faster. They're going to implement quicker. Um, yeah, it might be part of a beta or an alpha, but I'm going to also get a lot of learnings as a result of that and taking that risk. And I have a good chance of being first or second within my peer class. So yeah, there's some risk, but really not because they're likely not going to expect me to do a three year million dollar contract. So what's my risk? Some six month, three month trial. They're probably going to give me a lot of stuff for free. I'm going to get a lot of learnings. I grow with them and yeah, maybe it doesn't become the end all be all solution for whatever they're offering, but it's pretty low risk, especially if I have two or three of those running. So for me, it's a win, 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 right? So I'm getting everything I want. And then maybe internally we uncover, we find this amazing tool or platform that now helps us drive X to Y, whatever the goals are, right? So I I love it for those reasons. Um, And to be quite honest, dealing with the big Uber, large tech companies, they're just really challenging, right? Like they're really, really, really challenging. And there's not a ton of flexibility. I mean, there just isn't. Uh, If you're talking small scale, which for the most part, everything I'm doing right now at Clorox, relative to Clorox is small scale, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting too about the strategy you're discussing is you get to make these little bets, like a number of little yes. bets. You try them. The ones that work, not only do you get the the value of it, right? You're already hedged, so you're going to do fine no matter yep. what. But if it yep. works, it scales across the whole portfolio. 
Yes, uh, that's and right. You can use it across the business, and you're you're in with them. You're you're the yes. early adopter. You were the early adopter, right? And there's there's a yeah, exactly. There's a there's a trust there. There's a relationship. Like, hey, you placed a bet on us, and to me, that goes a long way, right? Like, I'm not placing Salesforce. I'm not placing a bet on Salesforce. Salesforce is clearly here to stay. Like, yeah. there's no there's no question about that, right? But there's a lot of other players out there that. And by the way, that's where you get innovation. Even the same with the creative agencies. How many times have we seen someone spin off of a big agency who then spins off another agency <laughs> and then people from that company spin off another agency? And that fourth agency is the one that's like, wow, but you have all this great learning. Same thing with most of these companies, the people who started these companies oftentimes came from these other larger companies. So yeah. you're getting all the benefits of those companies, but you're getting it at the ground floor and you might have some amazing, thoughtful, great thinking uh, from those people because they have nothing to lose and they're trying to break something that they couldn't break at that larger company because that company had quarterly earnings, they had uh, stakeholders, they had EPS to deal with. So it, you, you're not you're not incentivized to be quite honest in those larger companies to take risks. You're just not the way it functions once you go IPO, once you're public, right? Um, but when you're in a smaller company as a startup fighting for every dollar, fighting for every account, you're very much incentivized to go try to break things and really be different than everyone else. So I love that. And to your point, you, you, I think it's, you get the best of both, both worlds there. Is, is there a, a, a startup or a venture out there uh, that you're excited about that you've seen? I know, I know you're also an advisor for several high growth startups. So just curious if I there's am. anything uh, in the marketplace that either you've partnered with or just seen out that you're, you're excited about that you think is uh, worth sharing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard not to be biased because I am an advisor to a handful of startups. Um, they're not necessarily new, but you know, I think I would say in general, um, cause I never like to just plug, uh, brands cause I, I just feel like it's like kind of gross. So I would say, uh, one of the ones I'm involved with though is really focused on, uh, optimizing conversion and, and email capture. And their real focus is device ID tracking versus cookie. And they were on this yeah. year, two years ago. And as cookies start to phase out and as Google phases out, once Google does it, right, everyone else is going to do it. And Google is the browser that matters. And I what people say maybe outside of Amazon, they're offering an alternative to cookie-based tracking. And that's going to be critical for all marketers, especially people who don't have point-of-sale data. So if you're not a pure play D2C, so device ID to me is like one of the, the most obvious next ones, right? So they're on that. And I think that has huge identity um, and identity matching opportunities over the next two or three years. Massive, massive, especially once cookies are completely gone and phase out. Um, the second piece I, I actually love is the broader category of these co-ops. So I, I've been on this for a while. So I love Acorns. I'm an advisor to Miles. Miles is similar. I, I love Drop. Um, I, I like Ibotta. I like this idea that it's a win-win-win. As a brand, as a DTC company, I'm trying to acquire you, Fred, as a new customer. And I have probably a CAC I'm trying to fit with it, 15 20 $25. I love the fact that I can give one of these partners $20 a, off in whatever my solution. And in exchange, they're going to pass it along to the customer as a great value. What they get from the customer is the tracking, right? The data, whether it's yeah. syncing up credit cards, whether it's miles, whatever it is. And the customer just keeps doing things that they're normally doing anyway. They're traveling, they're using a credit card, nothing new for them. No, no additional funds, but they're unlocking all these rewards. I've just volunteered. So now what I get is a new customer that's within my CAC, probably less than my total CAC. Um, the company is taking probably half of that, right? So maybe I'm giving 30 bucks. They're keeping 15, you're getting 15 back to the customer, right? So they still make money. The customer for free is doing their normal life and now they're getting a $15 off coupon. So to me, what a beautiful thing, right? This is a win, 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 win for everyone. Yeah. No one's getting screwed over. No one has no hidden costs. And so I think that broader theme with those companies I mentioned will continue to expand of this, like call it co-op publisher model where, Hey, we're all going to win in this and it's very predictable. And, and, it, and at the end of the day, it benefits the consumer, which then ultimately benefits all the key players in that ecosystem. It's super interesting. We, we just finished a project around a cookie less future. 
Uh, oh, no kidding. The, yeah, what startups are out there that can potentially solve that. And it's, uh, it's a big problem coming out a lot of, lot of advertisers. So I love that one. And, and the co-op move, I mean, it's, it's just so simple. Um, right. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, if, if you can create a scenario where the value is being exchanged uh, and everyone wins, it just, yeah. it works. And it's like, yeah, th- that, that's what we all should be looking for. And in somewhat of a protected environment. I mean, if you compare, listen, I, I, I rely on Facebook and Google like everyone else does, right? But yeah. Facebook and Google, we all know the challenges with, with your data and how it's used. These, for the most part, are pretty protected environments, right? They're solid environments. They're walled off. You know, you guys, they can still sell it and utilize it for, for evil, right? Quote, unquote. But like, I feel much better giving my data up to these networks than I honestly I would on Facebook, right? So yeah. to me, it's the benefit there is then an added layer. So you have self-interest aligned between all three entities, but also... I feel good that this is a contained environment. This is not Facebook. This is not Google. This is not Amazon where the data is going. Who knows where? Yeah. And Jackson, I'll get you out of here on this. What, uh, what's next for you? Is there, a, is there an, uh, is something at, at Clorox you're really excited about that you're allowed to share, uh, you know, future forward initiative that, that has you excited? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is pre-quarantine, but obviously quarantine has, has also amplified this, right? There's a huge shift in yeah. consumer behavior. We both know this. E-commerce, direct consumer, digital shopping, omni-channel, the whole idea of people, especially in certain parts of the market, right? Because California and New York, we all knew were the early adopters, but now throughout the rest of the country, people are getting very much more comfortable with the groceries and their typical low consideration products being bought online, whether it's fulfilled last mile or picked up, you pick it up physically, the fact is now that's starting to turn around for people where they're feeling very comfortable with, I could buy online. And now there's this opportunity at Clorox where we think about what does health and wellness mean? So I, I focus especially on a lot of the wellness products and yeah. wellness is very broad, but Brita, birds, the supplements, obviously cleaning is now part of that in health and wellness. So, you know, we're really just trying to figure out how do we scale faster our director consumer solution across all of our brands that make sense. I'm very excited for Brita and birds. Like I said, Burt's has a loyal following. I think there's so much we can do there. We have some really cool innovation coming up. And, you know, I think that the company is so engaged in what, how we use data uh, respectfully and carefully, right? Not to abuse it, but to use in a way that actually provides value to the customer, not to just monetize it. And then how we provide personalized experiences, but also engage with them in different ways, not just in retail, but also in Amazon, and of course, in D2C. So, you know, I'm excited for that. Personally and selfishly, I want to see the team that I've been hiring and building up kind of have a really cool case study and playbook of this is how CPG should do it. Because if you look at most CPGs, they, they do it one of two ways. They go and acquire a big dollar shave. They yeah. bring the people in. And in three years, they're lucky after the earn out if they keep 25% of that talent. And hopefully they try to build upon what that team has done, right? But they generally, no one's done that that I've seen beyond that entity they bought. Or they create a venture arm or an incubator where they incubate small startups or they just invest $50 million and take board seats uh, at large companies or startups uh, to, to learn, which is great. It makes sense, right? $50 million is probably not that much to a $100 billion uh, CPG. But uh, if you really think about the model, that's also broken, right? Because you're still left with like just knowledge. What are you going to do with that knowledge? I think what we've done is pretty interesting. I think it hopefully can be a playbook for future uh, and other CPGs of scale, right? I'm talking like north of a billion dollars yeah. in sales uh, of how they launch and get into GDC, knowing that they still have to retail is still the priority, right? Kroger, Costco, Walmart, they're not going anywhere, anywhere anytime soon. That is still the priority as is Amazon. So how do we complement their, their goals, but also drive, consumers to our D to C and, and compliments to that. So to me, that's actually really exciting. And that's the yeah. reason I came here. Um, a huge opportunity there. It's awesome. Well, Jackson, thank you. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I always feel smarter by the time we get like, off the phone. Hey, feelings mutual, Fred. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Thank you for the recognition. All right. Well, this is great. And uh, is, is there any place people can follow you or learn more about what you're working on? 
Yeah, man, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter too, but I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. I post often there. So that's probably the best place to come find me, add me. I generally accept anyone as long as their photo is not a logo. I'm usually uh, <laughs> pretty good about adding them. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you again and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, man. You too. Have a good one. Stay safe. Okay. To discover more breakthrough technologies and insights from visionaries, please sign up for our newsletter at VentureFuel.net. Here you can share startups with us as well as apply to become a VentureFuel visionary.